So we are here this morning to continue the, the book of, exploring the book of Isaiah. We are doing seven Sundays looking at what we can learn from, this is a, a really big book um, uh, covering a, a massive amount of themes. Um, hopefully you've seen our video, but just in case you haven't, um, we've got a, a two minute video just that encapsulates the, the whole story of Isaiah, just to help us frame what we're going to be looking at this morning into the bigger picture, featuring the vocal talents of Mr. Richard Stamp. Um, this is our two-minute introduction to Isaiah. Okay, um, Rich is available for any narration needs that you may have, um, branching into uh, trailers for movies too, so um, you can see him for a business card later on. So we're, um, last week we opened this series, um, and this week we are in um, at the, the top right, the, uh, the nations, and um, in his book uh, on Isaiah, Phil Moore says, uh, that making predictions about foreign affairs is, uh, is a risky thing. And he gives uh, three examples. Um, the first one is um, the generals going to war in 1914. Um, they predicted, so in the summer they're, they're predicting that the troops will be home by Christmas, Christmas 1914. Uh, and we know that actually it was many years later, 1918, that the, the World War I actually finished. Um, and then we have, uh, who can tell me who this is? Neville Chamberlain, and what's, what's he doing here? 
Very good. Peace in our time. So 1938 um, had a meeting with Adolf Hitler, declaring that he secured peace for our time. Whereas we know just a year later that was not the case. And then finally, Fillmore gives this example of, of Saddam Hussein boasting that the first Gulf War would be the mother of all battles. But the army quickly crumbled. So this is, this is what God is doing in these chapters. Chapters 13 to 23, God is making predictions of what will happen to different nations. He's um, talking of, of nations of, of Babylon, of Philistia, of Moab, um, maybe not names that we are familiar to today, but would have been very familiar to the people that Isaiah was talking to at the time. And it shows that he is bigger than we think. He is the God of the nations. And this is particularly relevant to us today as we look to the wider political scene, as we look to the elections in America and a lot of fear and uncertainty of what may happen there. We've actually been speaking with uh, a number of um, churches that we're partnering with, asking us to, to pray, pray for them in a, a really difficult situation where there is not confidence in, in one can- candidate or another. They're asking, pray, how do we live as Christians in this context, in this society? Let's be praying for our brothers and sisters there. As we look at the Middle East power struggles, as we see the associated wars, huge pain and upheaval, we think, what, what is going on here? Or even closer to home, with the debate over what a post-Brexit UK looks like, it can cause us a level of uncertainty or insecurity. But we're to know whatever we see now, God is God of the nations. And that's what we're going to be exploring this morning. The, um, oh, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to a time of, of great change for God's people. Similar to today, there are power struggles, nation-changing decisions being made. And so as God's people then and today, how should we respond? How should we be responding in the midst of people and nations vying for supremacy? So last week, we saw some of the big themes for the book of Isaiah being set out. How justice matters. How the city of God is in rebellion against her king but a faithful remnant remains. A saviour is promised through whom God will put all things right. Isaiah confronts the wicked king Ahaz, who is putting his trust in foreign powers rather than God. And the prophet Isaiah's burden is to declare God's word to those who will not listen. He brings the message that actually things are going to get worse for Israel before they get better. But there is the promise of the triumph of divine grace. The Lord will lead back a remnant redeemed and rejoicing. Rescue is coming for Israel and for all the nations who trust in God. So this section today, we're we're looking at different nations. These nations, Babylon, Assyria, Philistia, Moab. Some which we'll be familiar with, some of which we won't be. But the reality is here that the oracles concerning these nations are relevant to us, because all around us there are political, there's political corruption, there's war, there's people seeking to do things their own way. This is true on the big scale of nations, but also on a smaller scale of everyday life, of, of different people trying to get themselves uh, a, a position of, uh, of prominence, of authority, of significance. 
as we look through these verses, we'll see that God has the nations in his hand. He has our lives in his hands. Empires rise and empires will fall, but God will bring all people to account and will have his way. So this morning, we are to have confidence that God is active throughout history, and God is at the end of history. God gives the people of God a different perspective, and this is part of why we are spending time in Isaiah, looking at one of the prophets, because we are to be a prophetic people. We are to be a people speaking God's word, God's truth, God's message here and now. And so as we look at the prophet Isaiah, we'll be equipped to see the current events with these prophetic eyes and see how God is truly a God of the nations. With this is a comfort and a challenge. It's a comfort if we put our trust in him, knowing that God sees everything that happens across the nation and everything that happens in our lives. There's nothing new under the sun. Some of these uh, stories that we'll be exploring, we see played out uh, across the, the centuries and played out today as well. So there's comfort there, but there's also a challenge. The challenge to us today is will we trust him? Will we trust God? Because if not, what hope do we have? What are we really putting our trust in? Because it's true, Scripture says that one day every knee will bow before God. It's not enough to recognize that he is God. In, in the um, series we looked at before Isaiah, the New Testament book of James, it says that even the demons recognize that God exists and he is there and they shudder. And so it's not enough for us this morning to recognize that there is a God, that there is something bigger. We're to recognize that he is our Lord and Savior. And so if you're exploring today, we're to see that faith isn't a leap in the dark, but it's conviction based on evidence. And as we see today, today that God is in control of the nations. And so it shows that we can put our trust in him. So let's uh, have a look. What we're going to do, we, we're not going to read all 10 chapters, so we're covering this morning chapter 13 to 23. You'll be relieved to know that we're not going to read word for word. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dip in and out to try and get us uh, a sense of the themes of the different things that are coming through. Um, so I'm going to read different bits as we go along, but if you can have your finger stuck in page, um, we'll actually be starting in chapter 14, so page 402. Um, in the church Bibles, Isaiah 14, we'll be reading from in just a moment. So the first thing in these, the themes I want to look at this morning of how God is the nations is that we are to trust in God's eternal rule. We're to trust in God's eternal rule. I've already mentioned that as we look out across the political landscape, we can see it, it can be a, a pretty scary viewing and can leave us feeling unsettled. What's going to happen across this world? Will things be okay? And importantly, closer to home, will I be okay? Will I be secure? And brings up this question of trust. Who can we trust? Where is our security? So in these verses, God shows not only does he know what is going to happen, but he is in full control. These passages say that God is not a, a mere fortune teller. It's not that he just knows what is going to happen. But he is in control. He is supreme. 
And these uh, verses we're going to read in just a moment, chapters, in chapters 13 and 14, God is referring to the nation of, of Babylon. So hopefully we have a map. There we go. So the red arrow over there um, is, is Babylon and um, the empire of Babylon. Uh, the green arrow down there is, is uh, Israel and Judah. Um, Isaiah is particularly speaking to Judah, who's in the southern part um, down there where the, the green arrow is. So um, for those of you who enjoy maps and geography, this is a good morning for you because we'll have a, a few opportunities to, to look at where these different places are. It's actually really helpful to set it in context so we know what um, situation that Isaiah is speaking into. So um, chapters 13 and 14 are speaking to Babylon. Uh, Babylon actually isn't a major player on the scene at the moment, although it will be in the future and will be very significant and will become kind of uh, Israel's public enemy number one. God knows what will happen in the future. God uses the empire of, of Babylon to um, bring consequences of the, on the nation of Israel. You may remember um, the, the city of, of Babel in Genesis and that the Tower of Babel that is built as a sign of um, their own importance and significance, a, a tower reaching to the heavens. So in here we see that Babylon and Babel is a symbol of the arrogant pomp and power of the world. And the story of Babylon is a story of all nations that defy God. Babylon seems powerful, and for the nation of, of Israel, as time goes on, they can see Bab- Babylon seems um, insurmountable. But like all other empires, it will fall. So let's have a look at um, chapter 14 and page, tw- uh, sorry, and verse 12. So this is speaking of Babylon's rise, and now... Isaiah speaks of its fall. So Isaiah 14, verse 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. How you laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Okay, keep your finger there because we'll, we'll come back into um, some of these verses in a moment. So we see there that the, um, Isaiah is referring to the morning star. And if you go out early in the morning, often you can see uh, Venus. I'm not a brilliant, um, wait, which is right, astronomer or astrologer? Which one do I want? Astronomer, thank you. Um, I'm not a brilliant astronomer, but when you come, come up and you see uh, Venus, which is a, a really bright star, but then it's eclipsed as soon as the com- sun comes up. You can, s- you can see that and think, wow, that is really bright. But as soon as the, the sun comes up, you understand what true brightness is. The image here is, is similar. That I think actually Babylon is shining brightly. There's power, there's authority. But there's nothing in comparison to the true brightness of the sun. There's nothing in comparison to the the true power and authority of the living God. So Babylon has big plans for self-promotion. They want to make themselves like God. But God is saying here that they will be cast down. And Babylon stands for all those rulers, presidents, dictators who think that they can ascend above the clouds. So as we look to other people who are trying to get supremacy, 
As we look to um, maybe that person at work who tries to get above everyone else and you, you really don't like them because they're trying to push themselves forward, you have confidence because they can be just like Venus rising, but they'll be eclipsed by the power and authority of the living God. In the end, they are all found. And this brings comfort to the oppressed. It comes to comfort to a small nation like Israel that are surrounded by bigger nations and empires. It brings comfort because they know although it may rise, it will fall. It brings comfort in the pain that we see around us. But it also contains a warning and a warning for us that we're not to fall into the trap of thinking like the Babylonians, thinking that it's all about us, about our impressiveness and our significance. Because the people of God need to be different. And in previous years, um, Israel asked for a king. They asked for a king because they wanted to be like other nations around them who had a king. And uh, in Isaiah's time, they were considering making alliances with other nations for their protection. But God's people are to be ruled differently and to have different values. And this is how we are to live today as well. Trusting in God's eternal rule, not seeking to boast in our own reputation or to, to inflate uh, what other people may think of us. Not striving for security in other things, not living in fear. The question is, who is on the throne of our hearts? Who has full authority in our lives? Because for some, Jesus can be a, a figurehead with no real power. Just We can say, yes, he is king. We may um, kind of do things that seem religious on the outside. We may come to church. We may occasionally look at our Bibles. But really and truly, in our hearts, God isn't king. That's a, a question for us today, a, a real challenge for us to look inside and think, is, is God king of our hearts and lives? Or does something else have supremacy? Does something else have that place of significance and security? Are we genuinely submitted to God? And is he calling the shots? Well, in perspective, let's turn back a page to um, Isaiah 13 and verse 4. This is a, a powerful image. It says, The sound of tumult is in the mountains, as of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. And this is an incredible picture of of God, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the heavens, raising up a heavenly army. Again, eclipsing the, 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 um, the star of Venus, the, the small star that rises, that may look impressive, but in comparison to the vast power and authority of the living God, a heavenly army, there is nothing that can stand in its way. And so this brings confidence that God is in full control, that he is powerful, and then reading on over the page into chapter 13, verse 9, says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. This is looking forward also to the future day of the Lord, where God will bring justice for all eternity. Whatever things look like now, there is a bigger picture where we see sickening injustice in this world. God is not indifferent. God is not powerless. He has perfect timing and perfect perspective. 
So these verses, these chapters show that the Lord is God of the nations and his rule is eternal. And we have a choice. Are we going to trust him or are we going to choose to trust something else? Secondly, we see that God is faithful. God is the God of the nations and we should trust that God is faithful. And this is an important question for Israel because they were surrounded by a whole host of other nations. And they're feeling, rightly, they're feeling like, gosh, where, where are we going to turn? Are we going to get crushed or swept away? So in these chapters from 13 to 20, Isaiah lists a number of nations. And again, for those of you who enjoy maps, this is just for you. So, in the, so we have Israel and Judah with the green arrow at the bottom. And then at the north, we've just seen Babylon. So there's an oracle concerning Babylon at the north. And then we'll come to, in just a moment, um, an oracle concerning Philistia in the west. And then we have one concerning Moab in the east. And then we have Egypt in the south. And so what Isaiah is doing here is pointing out all these different nations in the north, the south, the east, and the west. Israel is completely surrounded. And the question is, where will they turn for their security? They're a small nation, and so they'll be tempted to look to others for political and and military might. It's a bit like at school, you know, when you try to hang around with with the bigger kids uh, or someone who can really um, handle themselves in a fight. You're not there because you're after stimulating conversation or you enjoy being with them. You think, actually, if something uh, difficult happens, if something goes down, then I'm with them, and that's only got to be good for me. Isaiah's message is that Israel shouldn't turn to anyone else. Salvation is found in the Lord alone. And actually, there's a big clue in in the name Isaiah. Isaiah actually means Yahweh is salvation. The Lord is salvation. And so throughout, there's a real reminder. God and God alone is salvation. And we're not to be looking to anyone or anything else. God is faithful, and we're to trust him. So we see um, to the west, there's Philistia. Um, let's have a, a look at what God is saying to them through Isaiah. So uh, chapter 14, verse 28. 14, verse 28 says, In the year that King Ahaz died came this oracle. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be like, will be a flying, fiery serpent. So Israel's ancient enemy here, um, Philistia, is trying to maneuver a victory over Assyria with the help of Egypt in the south. But, as we see here, it's coming back to bite them, and they thought that they will be secure, but in the end, they will not. And then we see to the east, there's Moab. Moab comes up. Next, and like Philistia, they join the alliance against Assyria. And so we see in chapter 15 a lament for broken Moab. Let's read a few of those verses to get a flavor. 15 verse 1. Because Ah of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. Because Kir of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. He has gone up to the temple and to Dibon, to the high places, to weep over Nebo and over Mediba and Moab wails. Every head is bullness, every beard is shorn. 
If we had um, more time, we could go into some of the significance of the different place names, um, which you're welcome to do. There's uh, an excellent commentary on Isaiah by um, Alec Matia, which I really recommend. So if you'd like to understand more, uh, you can do that. Um, but if not, suffice to say, um, things are going badly for Moab. That's the kind of summary there, which you can get. There's, 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 there's weeping, there's wailness, um, there's shaving of head and, uh, and tearing of clothes as a sign of deep remorse. And then in uh, chapter 16, we won't read it, but there's an appeal by refugees seeking sanctuary in Judah, which is actually very real for us today, seeing refugees wanting asylum, wanting security. You may remember that when David was king, Moab was part of his empire, and now Moab is seeking refuge in David's house. And so this is a sign that the only hope for the nation is in Israel's faithful God. The only hope for the people of Israel is a faithful God. The only hope for the the nations of the world. There's no other way to security but other than Yahweh, the Lord. And so we see um, the problems in the nations, nations trying to go for, for pride and self-promotion. But let's have a look in um, chapter 16 and verse 14. It says, But now the Lord has spoken, saying, In three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt, in spite of all his great multitude, and those who remain will be very few and feeble. So Isaiah, maybe for us, thinking of all the different people that seem to be in ascendancy, actually their time is short. Their time is fleeting. This shows the brevity of false glory. Our time is short and fragile, even here on this earth. But Jesus invites us into a strong, vibrant, and eternal life with him. But coming to Jesus takes humility. We have to recognize that we are weak, we are not strong. And this is often counter-cultural, where we are often told that we have strength inside ourselves, that we can do it. The message of the gospel is, actually we can't, but we have a saviour who can. We have to confess that we can't do it ourselves. More than this, we have to confess that we get it wrong, that we've been building up many empires of our own self-rule. This is the fundamental human problem, is that we think we can do it our way. And we hate being told that we've got it wrong, or we have to, do another way, have to do it another way. We forget the God of our salvation and easily go on with our own plans. Our only hope is to remember that only God is faithful to his promises. So we're to trust in God who is faithful, trust in the big stuff, but also trust in the relatively smaller stuff as well. Um, a few months ago, uh, Vicky was away with a number of adoptive mums, and she was out uh, walking and praying, and she was asking God to speak, um, and she recorded a short video just to show uh, God speaking in, in just a small way. She recorded this video for, um, for our kids, so she didn't really intend it to be play, played in front of lots of people, but she's out help, helping with the youth, so I won't tell her um, if you won't. So um, this, is, this is just a, a small, uh, small three-minute story of, of, of God um, speaking and showing faithfulness.
Yeah. Um, also, you may be wondering, uh, they don't have permission from the person who owns the land to take the money as well. That was a little bit, or oh, can, can you do that? Is it okay? Because you think you're brought up. If you find money, you should give it in. Um, but it's a wonderful story, isn't it, of, uh, of God knowing exactly what we need. And sometimes it's really helpful to know that God is the God of the nations. He's over all, but he is also the God of things, the small things, the things that are right here and now, because that, those are the things that really help us to know that God knows us. He knows our situation, um, and he is faithful. Um, if you have any other stories like that, we, we love to, to hear them, and we love to share them for encouragement. They don't have to be big, huge things, but even uh, small things of showing that God knows exactly what we need at the right time. So just the, the last thing that I want to bring to us this morning is we're to be trusting that God is working for good. If God is at work, how can we trust that he is working for good in each situation? So we're going to be looking at, at chapters 18 and 19, um, and these, these chapters speak of God's future purpose. So chapter 18 uh, is speaking to Cush, getting back to our map. Um, Cush is, is down there um, at the bottom, modern-day kind of Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia. Um, they have been in an alliance with Egypt, which is there. Uh, and the message is through 18 that Egypt is at war with Assyria, but neither will win. God will. God will win. The people of Cush will come to see that God is their king. I mean, chapter 19 speaks of Egypt, the great ancient empire that has been significant for thousands of years and in the 8th century BC was locked in combat with Assyria. And so Isaiah speaks of a time coming when Egypt and Assyria will join with Israel in worship of God. And Isaiah here is seeing what looks impossible, speaking into this context, speaking to Isaiah and the nation of Israel, I think there is no way that this could work. These three nations to being together, worshipping together. It's similar to if we were to say that in the current Middle East situation, that there will be real unity across the whole of the Middle East with people coming together in peace and worshipping together. You think that is, there's no way, um, humanly, that that could, could happen. But the prophet sees something different. No matter how long an empire stands, it will fall. No matter how wars rage at the moment, God will rescue all his people. Let's have a look at what God says in chapter 19 and verse 24. It says, In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. So despite the present reality of war, God is working for good. And here we see God is working for his ultimate purpose of one world, of one people, of one king, of one God. Although it looks bleak at the moment, God is at work for good in this situation. One day every knee will bow and recognize God as king. And so this is, we can see more of it now, that God is at work establishing unity in Jesus. Establishing unity in Jesus. God is gathering his people from all nations, all backgrounds, all ages, with no exclusion. All those who have trusted and submitted to Jesus. 
Ephesians 2, verse 14 says, For he himself, this is Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so that making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The truth is that we are one in Christ. All those who come to Jesus and say that I have fallen short, that I have been trying to build up my own empire, Jesus, come and have rule and reign in my life. All those are brought together in unity before God. All are equal. And this has been God's purpose throughout history. We see it throughout the book of Isaiah. The purpose is to bring nations to worship. Not just about one nation, but the nations of the world. All those who trust in Jesus can know peace, security, and hope we can know that now, even in the midst of turmoil. And as a church, we must be accepting all those who trust in Jesus, those that we like and easily get along with, or those we may find it harder to get along with. We need to look to this bigger picture of unity, of reconciliation, and taking this message to this nation and the nations. God is working for good. He's looking to bring about one world, one people, one king, one God. And we're to bring this message of reconciliation. So as we close, we've focused on these chapters 13 to 20. You may have noticed we haven't really touched on 21 to 23. But this cycle um, repeats and explores the themes some more. You can go away and, and read that later on if you want to. The themes of God protecting his people, of being faithful to his promises, of futility of the nations trying to establish themselves of God revealing his ultimate reign and drawing people from across the nations to worship him. Also in, in these verses, we see that the world becomes darker as we move into the future. But Isaiah is still confident in the promises of God. So the question for us, for Israel then, and for us today, is where will we put our trust? These oracles were actually spoken to Israel. They weren't delivered out to the individual nations that are mentioned. God's people are to know that he is the God of the nations. And in fact, this title is, is too small because he is God of eternity. He is God of the universe. He is God who is bigger than anything you can imagine and is establishing his eternal rule. Nothing can stand in the way of it. And he calls us to join in him and let him be the God of our lives. So the call for us today is, will we trust him with everything? Will we trust that he is good? Will we trust him with our whole lives and trust him that we can go out and bring his good news to the world in pain around us? I wonder, can we stand and we'll respond? Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for how you show us that you know everything. You know everything about the nations, and you know everything about our lives. Lord, I, I thank you for that provision which you show to us in, in the, the video that, that Vicky made. So we thank you that you know exactly what we need and that you will provide.
Lord, I pray for that confidence now. As we stand here, I pray for each one that we would know that you see us exactly where we are at. And that we would have confidence that you see all the nations for all eternity. And so, Lord, we have confidence that we are secure in you. We have confidence that you are faithful and strong, that you are wise and good. And Lord, I pray that you'd be upon us now by your Spirit so that we can know these truths in our minds and that we can experience them in our hearts too. Lord, I thank you that you live inside of us. So when you come, be king of our hearts here this morning. We trust in you, Lord. Amen.